and shadows fall. Welcome to a world of mysteries, of conspiracies, of hidden and forgotten knowledge. There's a world more strange, more frightening, and more fascinating than most people ever imagined or dared to contemplate. Your parents, your teachers, never told you the whole story, either out of ignorance or fear. Your politicians may know, but they keep their mouths shut. The door is open. Throw off your chains and blinders, arm yourself with the truth, and take a walk along the razor-sharp precipice of the Outer Edge. That's right, once again, you are on the edge of madness. The edge of... The, <laughs> the edge, edge of, of the, wetness. The edge of wetness. The edge of uh, the razor. The razor's edge. <laughs> That's it. Or even the outer edge. The outer edge, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep, it's, here we are. It's, it's another beautiful night in the That's right. In multiple neighborhoods. Multiple. You know, it's the edge of, of calamities. If you listen to all the the stories that are all over the Internet, of course, you know, and some of them have more uh, validity than others. Uh, by the way, this is Mike Mott, and that was Tim Schwartz that brought us in tonight. I'm um, Tim. <laughs> yep. And, uh, yeah, so looking at, at all the, uh, the rumors and even things that have been picked up by major media outlets about, you know, potential... Uh, earthquakes coming to the Pacific Northwest, a volcanic dome that's building 300 miles off the coast of Oregon under the ocean and is possibly beginning to erupt. Uh, worries that the New Madrid fault is going to slip soon. In fact, uh, it's overdue, supposedly. And of course, the last time the New Madrid slipped and had a major quake, um, was in around the year 1812, I believe, and, mm. and the Mississippi River ran backwards for two weeks and changed the course of the river, and it rang church bells in Boston. So, at that time, you know, the, the whole region was where, where the quake occurred was uh, was frontier or wilderness. And if that were to happen today, you could pretty much say goodbye to, to all the major metropolitan areas in that area. Oh, uh, Memphis and uh, St. Louis. Louis yeah. yeah. I mean, and it could happen. And so, you know, earlier this year, throughout the year, everybody was freaking out about Jade Helm and, and blah, blah, blah. You know, oh my God, <laughs> martial law, blah, blah, blah. But no, I mean, I mean, Jade Helm is a, is a, uh, I think we've talked about this on the show before. Mm-hmm. It's a software, uh, it's an AI, an artificial intelligence, uh, thing that, that basically coordinates resources, people, efforts, you know, in terms of, of any imminent threat or, or, active threat of any type and military response and all that kind of stuff is is part of it and which is kind of scary you know to think about it as a skynet like system supposedly being developed but you know i've said all along and, and tim you probably have seen me say this that i believe that it's more in, ter- in lines of in line of with the government running jade jade helm in order to stay on top of the potential for, like, say, a Yellowstone eruption or or a New Madrid fault or a West Coast uh, fault slippage, they're getting ready for something that actually can happen. You know, it's not like they're just doing it for the fun of it. They're, I think because if something like that happens, they would have to contain uh, the chaos in metropolitan areas. Uh, unfortunately, if you're in a major metropolitan area, you'll probably be locked down there. You won't be leaving mm-hmm. um, unless they relocate you. 
Okay. Right. So, you know, I, I know that, that they started doing the strange stuff when they were doing the exercise. They, they would announce more and more states that were involved. And if you look at the way it's laid out, it seems like it's that the whole Jade Helm region was in a circle uh, approximately so many hundreds of miles out or thousands of miles out from Yellowstone. Hmm. Okay, and that's where they were. That's where they were setting up all their centers, which is very interesting, to say the least. And you know they they closed out a bunch of WalMarts, and that was part of the conspiracy theory. And then of course, Targets in Canada were closed down, and they were all along that same circle. Um, so I th- I think that the North American governments were just getting ready, doing a practice run for the possibility that something really bad could happen. They added uh, Mississippi, for instance, to to Jade Helm where they announced it late, right before they started the thing, and they said that East Mississippi was a relocation zone in Jade Helm exercises. Well, what's a relocation zone? Mm-hmm. If you have refugees, you have hundreds or thousands of refugees, you know, from a, from a disastrous event, you know, hopefully they're not talking about Syrians, you know. Actually, of course, most of the Syrians are actually Iraqis and Afghanis and other subversives, but they claim to be Syrian refugees. But anyway... I think that this thing is more in line with uh, preparing for a disaster on our soil. And uh, just, just, just something that kind of ties in with our guest tonight in a loose sort of way in terms of, uh, you know, weathering, catastrophism, and all that sort of stuff. Well, it, you know, it, it, it really only makes sense that our government be prepared for yeah. some kind of disaster. Uh, I mean, it's, it's inevitable, whether it, you know, whether it be another, you know, Katrina, or like you said, a massive, uh, you know, earthquake, either at the New Madrid Fault, or on the, uh, uh West Coast, or, I mean, there's, I, e- there's even the potential of a, uh, of a big catastrophic earthquake happening on the East Coast as well. I mean, sure. you, saw, you saw what just a small one did uh, in Washington D.C. and uh, surrounding areas a few years ago. Uh, so well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, 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 all it would take would be just you know one just a little bit bigger than that to, to just really create havoc. That's right, and you have to worry about civil unrest during those times too. You have to because you know, well, for instance, during Katrina, we all know what happened in New Orleans. And everybody thinks New Orleans is where Katrina hit. No, Katrina did not hit New Orleans. Rain hit New Orleans. You know, we talked about that on the show before. Mm-hmm. Katrina came ashore on the Mississippi Gulf Coast and wiped out entire towns down to the cement foundations in some places. Okay? Mm-hmm. It, that, that's what a hurricane coming ashore actually does. And it was terrible down there, and, and they had to worry about, you know, looters and all that. And there, there was some dangerous stuff going on down there. But at, at the time, Haley Barber was the governor, and he's basically made it very well known everywhere. The word got out immediately, even before the hurricane hit, when it was about to come ashore. He said, looters will be shot, period. If someone is looting, if we catch you looting, we will shoot you on sight. Mm-hmm. There was almost no looting, zero looting. For the most part. Right. Okay? Whereas in New Orleans, we all know what happened. So, you know, extrapolate that out, though, to to uh, um, any kind of natural disaster. And depending on where you are and who's in charge, you can kind of gauge how things are going to go. And, uh, well, you, know, yeah. for, you know, for the most part, people have a tendency to do nothing until it's too, too late. 
I mean, that's you, true. You warned them and warned them and warned them. I mean, it's it's uh, going back to New Orleans again. You know, look at the levy system that they have there. I mean, oh yeah. You know, they had been warned for years. Well, there was yeah. a lot of corruption too. Oh, Don't forget yeah. that they had thrown money at that and thrown money at it. Oh yeah, we're maintaining those. We're levies. We're fixing the levies and all this stuff. And that money just disappeared into the black hole of Louisiana politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what happened to it. Well, and so any any you know, place here in the United States is going to be the same. Same situation. Yeah, well, no, I, mean, yeah, I, I, I believe it. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think that the majority of the states in this country are ill-prepared for any kind of major oh, yeah. disaster. I think so, too. And that's, that's up, it's up to you as yeah. an individual. You yeah. know, watch out for your family. Watch out for your loved ones. Mm-hmm. Get your act together before it's too late. People think, oh, this never happened to me. You know, there's an mm-hmm. old thing where people, you'll hear people say things like, when the shit hits the fan, I'm coming to your house. Uh, you come to my house. <laughs> I, see what happens. You're not coming to my house. Sorry. I now. started to say nobody has said that. Nobody has said that to me, and they're going to be in for a big surprise if they if they yeah, come to my that's house. Awesome. Surprise is a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because. You know, it's like a guy said, you know, I, I spend all my time doing all these things, and you know, I do without in order to get ready for this or that, and you think you're going to show up here? When you do that, you are a threat to my survival and the survival of my family. I don't, I don't care, you know, if we were buddies in high school or whatever. You know, you've been sitting on your butt, you know, watching TV and, and <laughs> spending your money on stupid crap. You know, don't be coming around here. You'll catch a bullet. Uh, don't, you know? don't come around here no more. That's right. And but you know, we, to talk about talking about the East Coast. To, let's get back on the topic there. There, there was a, uh, a concern several years ago, and it's still a concern. Mm-hmm. There's an island close to the Canary Islands, and it may be one of the Canary Islands. It's, it's volcanic, right. and yeah. they it's, think that it, the yeah, entire part of the chain, yeah. Yes, they think the entire wall of the volcano could fall off any moment. It could either erupt and fall off, or it could just fall off because it's really, really big and unstable. And if that happens, they have calculated, they've actually done the calculations, that it would create a tsunami that would devastate the eastern coast of the United States. Mm -hmm. It could be as high as, you know, 50, 60, 100 feet. And... Something like that could rush inland quite a distance, you know, before it stops. So people think these things can't happen, but they've happened before. They happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's not like something that just, you know, you see on television or in a movie like, you know, uh, The Day After Tomorrow or something like that. These things actually do happen, and they happen periodically. And we'll look at the tsunami, you know, in, in Indonesia sometime back. So. Right, right, and that's and that's an area that is is very familiar, you know, with earthquakes and tsunamis, and uh, um, they were ill prepared for the devastation that hit them, and it's the same way, you know, with with the East Coast. You think about all of the large metropolitan areas uh, that sits along the Eastern Seaboard. You know, New York's just a perfect example. I mean, it's uh, uh, very uh, low, you know, low-lying, and it wouldn't take much of a tsunami to, well, oh God, I mean, look at the storm that hit, was it last year or the year before that flooded the subway system? Yeah. You know, and, oh, yeah. That, and that was just, you know, that was just, I don't want to say an everyday storm, but, you know, I mean, that was just a storm that, you know, most areas 
would have said, oh, yeah, it's raining. You know, we got some flooding. That's it. You know, New York, they were just like, ah, gurgle. <laughs> well, think about this. New York has never been hit directly by a hurricane. No. Can you imagine if a hurricane came straight up mm-hmm. Manhattan Island? It would, New York would, ne- would never recover from that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I mean, just, uh, um, you know, the one that I was just uh, uh, talking about, you know, uh, uh, Tim Beckley, you know, his uh, his neighborhood was without power for, for quite a while. And, yeah. um, you, you know, you have these uh, uh, little apartments, you know, very large population density. I mean, you know, things are starting to get a little uh, uh, tense there. But uh, fortunately, they were able to get everything, you know, up and running again fairly quickly. But a few more days of that, and uh, it it would have been unpleasant in in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that uh, that brings us to uh, tonight's guest, uh, Scott Stevens, who uh, has uh, been researching. The weather, a uh, former TV weatherman, uh, he's been interested in the weather for years, and uh, he came to the conclusion that um, a lot of weather activity that's occurring over the United States, and I suppose, you know, in other places, uh, you know, on this planet, are not the result of, uh, of Mother Nature, that uh, there is uh, weather chicanery going on. Right. Right, exactly. And you, you and I both are firm believers that that, that goes on. So this should be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to Scott. I've I've followed his work for a number of years. I mean, I I remember uh, during Hurricane Katrina. It, well, in fact, that entire uh, hurricane season, because there was just one hurricane after another that just seemed to make a beeline. Uh, uh, for the United States, even a couple of them that actually turned around and came back for a second hit, you know, on Florida, I, uh, I can think of uh, especially. So um, it's uh, I have no doubt that uh, uh, weather manipulation is a reality, despite the denial from the skeptics. <laughs> uh, so um, you know, it, uh, it it definitely will be uh, an interesting show tonight uh, so yep. I, I, I'm, lo- I'm looking forward I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, to talking with uh, with Scott so why don't we go ahead and let's go ahead and take our break now and then when uh, when we come back we will talk with uh, Scott Stevens you are listening to the outer edge on the PSN radio network I'm Tim Schwartz with Mike Mott stay tuned for an absolutely fascinating program tonight <laughs> Yeah. 
I'm LeVar Burton, and I'm proud to be a book person. How do I choose a book? Sometimes it's the cover, sometimes it's the title. I guess I'm pretty visual. If a book's really impressing me and the writing is really good, I will peek and see what the last paragraph is. Because the endings of books should rock you. I am a book person. And if you're a book person, too, read to a child and spark a lifetime of ambition. Join me at bookpeopleunite.org because reading is fundamental. A public service announcement brought to you by Reading is Fundamental, Library of Congress, and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Green light. Hey, girl. School zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Conspiracy Journal is your number one source for the hidden world of the weird and strange. We bring you thought-provoking and controversial material for free-thinking individuals who are seeking what is really going on in our world today. Some of this material may adversely affect you. Other pieces are meant to enlighten. Either way, be prepared to be intrigued by such things as the reality of UFOs, ghosts, strange creatures from time and space, hidden conspiracies, time travel, Nikola Tesla, suppressed technology, and a whole lot more. You can find out more by visiting our website at conspiracyjournal.com. There you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter sent directly to your email address. You can also receive our free print catalog. Just send your name and mailing address to mrufo8 at hotmail.com. I'll spell that out for you. M-R-U-F-O, the number 8, at hotmail.com. mrufo8 at hotmail.com. Find out what they don't want you to know. You're listening to The Outer Edge Radio with William Michael Mott and Tim Schwartz, only on PSN Radio.
And welcome back to The Outer Edge. I'm William Michael Mott, Mike to my friends, and a variety of less pleasant expletives to my enemies and adversaries, as is to be expected. I'm uh, here with uh, Tim Schwartz, of course, and now we're joined by our very special guest, Scott Stevens. And uh, Scott's an award-winning television weatherman who uh, stood up against the system and uh, told how things are actually uh, not what they seem. And, and of course, he, uh, uh, the system didn't like that very much. But Scott, we're glad to have you on the on the show, man. Honored to be with you this uh, this time, guys. Honored. Well, thank you very much. So, well, Scott, let's uh, for our uh, listeners who may not be familiar with your work, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, what got you uh, interested in uh, weather in the first place? <laughs> Boy Scouts, to be honest with you, hmm. I was twelve years. I was truly it was I was twelve years old and uh, looking to complete my Eagle my Eagle Award, the Eagle Scout Award. And uh, there was like three or four mer- merit badges yet to go, and uh, I had just decided that weather was one of them. I was 12 years old at the time. And so I kind of looked through the requirements. I'm like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. Oh, yeah, I, I'll have this one in the bag. And uh, that was uh, summer of 78, to be honest with you. And uh, I ended up then... Falling in love with weather. I had to build a weather station and then begin to complete a diary for one solid month and, and watch the evening news and kind of compare forecast against uh, what actually happened. And it was enough to get me into a habit. We know that it usually takes three weeks to establish a habit, and this was this was a full-on month. So by the end of that month, me being a numbers guy and, and, and averages and means and all of that kind of stuff, it just really fit with me. And uh, as I began my own weather diary, I was then looking for a service project to accomplish or to finish the Eagle Eagle Scout Award. And I thought it would be a great service to the community to be the weather watcher for my small town for the local TV station. So I reached out to, to the meteorologist who had just come from Cincinnati. His name was Ken Torrey. And so I... I, I called Ken and we had a little discussion and he said, you know, Scott, I just don't have room for another city. I, I just don't have a room. I don't have room. But would you like to come in and tour the TV station? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I'll be right there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, within two months, my dad and brother and I went in and, and Ken gave us gave us the grand tour. And before we left that, that evening, he said, if anything unusual happens, let me know. Here's my number. And so uh, three months later, I called in and said, hey, you know, it was hot. It was really, really warm today. You know, I, was thir- I was 12, 13 years old. You know, how did I know it was really warm? But it, it felt warm when, you know, as, as I'd fallen in love with weather. It was 77 degrees that day, and it was a, a mid-April afternoon mm-hmm. in eastern Idaho. So I called him, called in. He said, you know, somebody didn't report today. I'll pop, put in your little town, Territon. And so that was that began it, and we uh, ended up becoming really, really good friends. And he was my mentor for the next, you know, five six years as I finished junior high and high school. And then my senior year of high school, he uh, I was three weeks into my senior year, and he said, "Scott, there's a production assistant's job that's come open. Mm-hmm. You know, you do studio camera, ripping scripts, you know, getting tapes ready for for air, and you would help me in the weather center." And I'm like, yeah, that's so much better than bagging groceries, what I'm doing right now, so much better. But it required me leaving home. And so mom was a little like, I'm not ready to let go of my oldest son yet. But I I took the job and and moved in with him, he and his family. They consolidated their daughters into one room, and I had another room. And so we went to work every day. So my senior year of high school, I I was in the station. 
and it was just a really, really good. You know, at that point, I loved weather, but I didn't know if that's what I wanted to do. I had such a draw to economics, money, you know, the business. And uh, I was even my first semester at Kansas at KU, and I didn't sign up for a weather class. It was I was headed into business. And uh, I had to walk by Lindley Hall, which is where meteorology at that point in time was still in the geography department. And there was the weather station there, and it just, like, called me. It called me. And so I changed classes and, and took uh, uh, Meteorology 105, and I never looked back. Within two years, I had a job at the Topeka station. I'd gone through mornings and then weekends, and then the main guy had gone through all those three positions within 10 months. And then I got a call from Omaha. They said, we're doing a startup, and uh, you'd get a $10,000 raise. And I'm like, yeah, sign me up. So I, I actually did not finish school because of that job. Taking that job in Topeka gave me enough of an income that uh, you know the, the student loans and the Pell Grants fell away, and so I, I wasn't able to afford that last that last year of school. It just it, it, the money wasn't there, and so this other job came along at the perfect time. And then funny. When I was up in Omaha, and that station is still on the air. It's called RFD TV. They had a very different stint than they do now because they're on 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 DirecTV and 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 uh, Dish Network. It was all C-band satellite. You had to have your big dish in the backyard and then tune in to watch. They had a pretty good audience, but without a way to meter your audience, you can't go to the advertisers and say, "Hey, we have this many people watching." And so that was their problem. That was the flaw in their business plan. And so my first and second paychecks bounced. Oh, shoot, what have I done? <laughs> what have I done? Oh, my goodness. You know, I left a good job. I, you know, it was just, it was, you know, I was kind of in chaos. And so uh, from there, uh, I, they got some financing. I went back, and that taught me agriculture for, uh, forecasting, futures forecasting. Uh, I'd later have a job in Tulsa, which is where I went after that, did mornings where I, I actually did some side work. Uh, outside of the morning stint at the NBC affiliate there. Um, pipeline capacity, orange juice futures, you know, the way to make money when you have as little as a 12-hour lead on your competition. So they could pay me what was really a, a very, very cheap fee and get a heads up because I was an aggressive forecaster. Uh, it was something I learned. You just you forecast at the envelope of of possibilities. Mm-hmm. If it looks like it's going to be a warm day, the weather service is going for eighty eight. You could see how it could be ninety two. You went for it. <laughs> you just went for it. And in in that station, I was at KJRH, the NBC affiliate in Tulsa. I was I was really annoying the main guy. So I was coming in in the morning, looking at his forecast, looking at the evening model runs, and going, "What is he thinking?" Dude is clueless. And so I would rework his forecast. And I didn't know this, but it really annoyed him. Because, um, I, I mean, dude, I had to be responsible for my audience. I had my own reputation to look out for. So he had the weekend guy start checking me. He would write down my forecast, Gary's forecast, and then and then Lane was the, was the weekend guy. Lane would put down his. And so there's three verifications. You're high, low, and precipitation. Well, we did a six-day forecast. So that was 12 options to be right or wrong, and then you're how far right or how far wrong you are. After nine months of doing that, I came across the paperwork in the, in the, weather, stu- in, in the weather office, and I'm like, what's going on here? Hmm. And out of 12 periods, I was right 10 of them. 
Canada. But that still wasn't enough to get me to keep me from getting fired. <laughs> so I really enjoyed it. Um, well, you were ste- you were stepping on toes. I was some stepping on toes. Yeah, but, someone know, may have told them to fire you. Now I know why forecasting the extremes worked is because I was already working in a field in meteorology and atmospheric sciences where there, what what would what should happen wasn't happening. Hmm. And and that was the geoengineering. That was the delta or the right. change in value of something that wasn't um, that wasn't accounted for. It wasn't accounted for by the local weather service offices. It wasn't count- accounted for by anybody else in the office I was at or any other meteorologist within that television market. Right. That, well, for the listeners out there who may not be familiar with the idea of weather modification is a real thing, I would like to say that it has been admitted by various governments of the world, including the U.S. government, they do that they do fiddle with the weather. Mm-hmm. They've slowly come to admit it over the years. They used to de- deny it totally. Um, they well, do What's manipulate. the best weapon? What's the best weapon? Yeah. A secret weapon. Right. Right. So why would and you tell anybody you can do anything? It, was, it finally became so obvious, I think, that they couldn't deny it anymore. Mm-hmm. But, as, as we talked about before you came on during the break, you know, many years ago, I lived in Huntsville, Alabama, and Tom Bearden at the time was sort of a local a notorious pseudo celebrity because he had he was a, I'm trying to remember what, what his background was but he was an engineer and, and physicist and stuff and he had come out and said look weather modification is going on and it's being done out here you know in experimental fashion from Marshall Space Flight Center and Redstone Arsenal and they're doing this stuff and everybody laughed at him but he kept you know he would be he would appear on local uh, uh, access channels to talk about it and he would describe how it was it was basically scalar wave technology. It was the same technology that the Soviets allegedly used against the Afghans where okay, scalar wave technology goes all the way back to Nikola Tesla. And and supposedly and this was actually supposedly verified that the Nazis did a scalar wave test in the North Sea. And when they turned on their devices, the super rough ocean of the North Sea went instantly as smooth as glass due to the wavelength of radiation they were putting out. Um, the, the Russians allegedly used this, and this is according to Bearden, who had Intel contacts, uh, connections. They, they used it to literally turn off living things. Mm-hmm. They can interrupt the, the electrical impulses in a living organism. So supposedly they had turned off entire Afghan villages um, during during their their time there, where they would just switch this thing on and hit a village, and you would go into the village afterward, and everybody's just frozen, but but they're dead. Every living thing is is just flipped yeah. off. Well, he it. said that yeah. Well, he said that they were doing the same thing that they could use it to manipulate the weather, and he described certain weather patterns that were a sure sign that they were doing this. For instance, square clouds, cubic shaped clouds, uh, different wave, uh, wave patterns you can see in the sky that look like standing sine waves, things like that. And at one point, I guess it was about 91, I was working at a company called Intergraph Corporation and I went out at lunchtime one day with another guy and looked up at the sky and the entire sky there, this was in Huntsville, like just a few miles away from Redstone or Marshall Space Flight, the entire sky 
had been overcast that morning, and when I went outside, it was broken into broken into perfectly square. I don't say cubes, but like almost like a, a patchwork quilt. It looked like a checkerboard, which each white square of clouds exactly the same size, with a thin blue line around it, separating it from the other squares That's as cool. far as you could see in all directions. And when I saw that, I said. There's no doubt that that's some sort of wavelength causing that. There's no way in nature that that can happen. It's it's just impossible. Yeah, I, no and I, re- I really appreciate Bearden's work. And I this is new to me. I didn't know that he had been um, vocal within within local media at that point in time. Yeah. I I was I was researching free energy, understanding that an energy crisis and the energy agenda is what has kept essentially this planet enslaved for the last hundred years yeah and i was looking at his negative resistors and his electromagnetic motors and uh, you know those kind of things and it was on his website chenier.org c-h-e-n-i-e-r-e.org that i saw his sidebar of soviet weather engineering and that that's what i'm like oh what is this i'm curious and then of course there was a litany of photographs that his webmaster tony craddock had put up and yeah. uh, you know, I've had a couple of phone conversations with with uh, with Thomas. Not not recently, not within the last five or six years. Um, but it was um, he opened my eyes, and because of his work, I bought a digital camera in two thousand two thousand one, and started framing the sky. You know, like a photographer does, yeah. and looking for those things. And once you begin to look for something, intelligence recognizes patterns. Plain and simple. Right. That is that is one of the foundational. Uh, aspects of intelligence is, to, is recognition, the power of recognition. And I was seeing him. And it, it took a couple of years to become a full-on firm believer and then to integrate the chemtrail program inside of that, you know, right. that's another leap that I had to make. Well, if you're, if you're doing weather modification, it stands to reason that there could be elements that you could introduce into the upper atmosphere that would be more easily manipulated by, say, scalar wave radiation. Yep. Um, in other words, if you if you were to disperse uh, certain particulates into the atmosphere, they it, it may assist in whatever you're trying to do once you turn your once you turn it on and, and start zapping it with a you know with with a, uh, with a standing waveform of some kind. So you think? yeah, uh, so you know people <laughs> want to know what it's all really about. You know, chemtrails. You know, the weather modification part of it may be what chemtrails are really about more than anything else. That's what I think, and I, and I think they're all. You know, because I'd, I'd come to terms. There was a satellite image I saw back in 2004. It was, it was June of 2004, and it was those cubes that you described earlier. There was one standalone cloud. It was a square cloud atop Billings, Montana. But it was late in the day, so it wasn't the cloud that I noticed first off. It was its shadow. But the shadow was perfect, because I was looking at visible imagery. Mm. And I'm like, WTF? And I, I analyzed this cold front. I'd already come to terms that they were working with the big programs, the hurricanes, the large-scale droughts, that they were manipulating things or could alter weather to bring about large events. This was the realization that everything is touched by these wave patterns, these standing wave patterns. And the right. simple square cloud was a direct result of those standing wave patterns. And then as I looked at this satellite image, maybe 120 miles due west of it, there was a void inside the cold front that was the perfect shape, size, and orientation of the cloud that was sitting across that location in Montana. Hmm. And I'm like, ah, oh, 
the whole bloody thing's been digitized. Well, and think, think di- exactly. That's a digital pattern. Mm-hmm. And you uh, need uh, those uh, trails to then yeah. establish the resonance patterns as, well, as, they, as the parts and layers of the atmosphere moving in contrary directions. Because in meteorology, there's a term called vorticity, and it is the spin value of a parcel or cube of air. The greater the spin, the more rotation, the more potential for cloud development, curvature, and storm. Vorticity right. is key. So, well, you know, Beard, Bearden said that even back then. I remember him saying that we were not the first to do this. We were not the first to experiment with it. We were. He was saying when he was appearing on these public access shows and stuff that we were actually trying to catch up with the Russians. That the Russians were way ahead of us on weather modification and manipulating the weather and and maybe even uh, weaponizing the weather. And everybody up there at the time was laughing at him, you know, and and stuff. But the guy was right. He was correct. And if you think about this, you know, people, I remember back when people were saying that somehow George Bush was to blame for Katrina, which is like the most stupid possible thing anybody ever said. But that's not to say that somebody else didn't do it. Well, he, he wasn't responsible for the tie he wore that in, in, in his <laughs> Think about this. I mean, I mean, Russia or China or anybody else that has this technology, there could be a number of events that have been precipitated, let us say, by, by this type of thing. Um, because you can use this, this technology to generate a superstorm if the conditions are right, you know, over, over waters and stuff. So, and that's, you know, Sandy. I'll go back to Hurricane Sandy. Uh, yeah. it was, it was eight days prior to Sandy and an email showed up and in, in my box and I read it and the guy said, Oh, they're going to turn Sandy into a big northeastern event. And I, you know, I, w- I wasn't paying that close attention, to be honest with you. I was, you know, in the, in the more day-to-day or, or the hour-to-hour kind of things. And so I load up the models and, and scale out 15 days and trace back what potential event could curb Sandy back ashore. And at that point in time, Sandy was headed out to sea. It was just going to recurve away from the Carolina coastline and, and not impact the continental U.S. Right. And so I, I see a little ripple out there on the far, far western edge of the Aleutians, just crossing the Bering Strait. And so then I go to satellite, or actually the water vapor imagery, and I see, I won't say more trails than I've ever seen before, but it was littered with trails. So that particular ripple in the atmosphere was of high, you know, contained a high degree of interest by these guys. And I thought, oh, crap. Oh, crap. They're going to do it. That's exactly what they're going to do. So if you go back to my Facebook timeline, you know, you, you can watch the evolution of the event and see that the direct manipulation of that little ripple eight days ahead of time brought, brought that storm ashore. And so a little impact or a big impact, you know, a week or two ahead of time is what we're dealing with today and tomorrow and the next day. So we have a large contingent of the people looking outside overhead. Say today it's the Mohawk Valley of, of New York State. And it's the only in that region where there's a, a bunch of trails and it doesn't make any sense why. But if you follow that little, little impulse that is being manipulated in the atmosphere then and there, you'll see that it will have an impact, a lot, an increasingly significant impact in weather in the days to come. So if you look outside, it's happening overhead. 
usually, not always, but usually, it is not meant for your direct location. Now, if they're flying over the tops of thunderstorms that are happening, yeah, they're knocking them back, either to strengthen them or to weaken them to perpetuate it in place drought or to keep the rains going if flooding is the agenda. Well, now, guys, let's uh, let's take a step back here. Uh, Scott, what was it that uh, that got you started thinking that uh, weather manipulation was a possibility? Was it the Sandy event, or was there... No, no, no. Had there been stuff going on before that? Because, I mean, you know, most uh, weathermen... Uh, Won't go there. To, ...to consider, you're right, that, uh, that, yeah, that humanity can actually affect the weather. Is I mean that's just really outside of uh, uh, the realm for them. So what got you started? Let's go back to Tulsa when I was accurate in ten out of the twelve periods above and beyond my peers. By the late nineties, which was just eight years later, I was struggling as long along with the hydrometeorological prediction center outside in Maryland that does the forecasting for for the country. And there were winter storms that were coming ashore that were not behaving as the models had predicted that they would. So when I'm standing in front of my audience at 5, 6, and 10, saying, you know, we've got a, you know, a winter event coming, look for 40 inches of snow on the valley floors, you know, 16 plus, maybe even as many as 20 inches in the resorts and, and the vacation lands up in Yellowstone and Tetons, the Bitterroots, Sun Valley, because that was my ADI or area of dominant influence. And then you've got, you know, the road and road, uh, the, the road guys at our Department of Transportation. Then you've got the sheriff departments that have their favorite weatherman that they watch. So I had people that depended on me. And these winter storms were not coming about as I was forecasting them to be. And I'm going, what's changed? And so as I became aware of Bearden's work and the scalar impulses into the sky, I was beginning to put two, three, and four, and five together. So if the snow was supposed to start, say, at 7 o'clock, we'd be, you know, an inch or two, maybe even three on the ground by the time the 10 o'clock news comes. And I'm not seeing the snow advancing on my location as it should. So I'm outside waiting for the snow to begin, looking around. Finish the news. Oh, it'll be here by morning, guys. It'll be here by morning. But then, you know, I've gone home, and, you know, 10 o'clock becomes 12 o'clock and 1 o'clock, and I'm just going outside going, where's the snow? And I'm in eastern Idaho. There are no jet airports within 200 miles. And I'm hearing jets flying low and slow and seeing stars through a hazy, hazy overcast, exclaiming to myself, what's happening? Why are there planes not on any flight schedule? There's no passengers going from Salt Lake to Bozeman on a 767. I can hear what kind of plane. I can hear if they're in ascent or descent by the tone, the sound of their, their engines. So I'm beginning to have all of these questions. And I could go back inside, and I look at the infrared satellite imagery, and I see these warming holes showing up in the calm ahead of these storms. And I'm like, well, if the atmosphere simply cannot recover in time for me to get snow. So by the time I go to bed, I know I'm going to have to explain what happens. And so the next afternoon, the next 5 o'clock show, I have to rewind the satellite and say, Look at this, look at this. This happened, and that was responsible for us missing this storm. Now, the storm didn't miss us at all. Its potential was extracted from it. Right. So whether that was crap, whether but that was energy, data, doesn't I don't disappear. know. No, it energy doesn't. It, so it where has did, to where go did, somewhere. Exactly. Where does it go when they do that? And, and Bearden had that only explanation. And so it was me trying to 
to justify or to understand what was happening to the forecast, to what I was seeing on 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 online uh, and with the with the satellite imagery that something was happening something was chewing these storms to pieces and then yellowstone was burning the central mountains were burning then we were having these these summer fires because the winter snows were not manifesting right so do you think it has a lot to do with the current drought in the west completely utterly and completely storm after storm there was not a shortage of storms into california last winter right what there was was a storm that had the potential to put down two, three inches of, of, of moisture in, in the Sierra were left with a quarter to a half. So the potential of the storm was literally extracted out of it where it was needed and expected and forecast to be the most. And that's, that's why I was glad to get out of TV, why I was glad to get let go of. Because if I can't tell you why I, the forecast was wrong, I don't want to do it any longer. Yeah. It's not fair to me and it's not fair to the audience. To be, to be dishonest and to not be truthful with them. And that's what my, I mean, I was, I was worth a lot of money to my station. My general manager was Scott, you're, you're our most valuable possession, but you've got to keep this on your own time. Don't bring it to our air. I'll let you do the radio interviews. You know, I'll let you do it on your time. Just not on our air. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's, that's unfortunate, but I understand. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And I needed a paycheck, darn it. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> no. she was, yeah, well, you were doing it on your own time, though. That's good. I, mean, I, I did until Katrina happened. Until Katrina right. happened. And then there was just way too much attention. Way too much. And then it, actually, it wasn't my station that, that bailed on me. It was, it was the corporate sales department. It was getting wind from our competing ABC station going to the regional Ford dealer saying, you don't want to advertise on, on KPVI because Scott's there and this is what he's saying and this is what he believes. And that was enough for the wind to get back to Vegas to, to corporate. And they said, yeah, we can't lose sales over this. Oh, and so they went from a number one station to a, a tied for number three. Well, have fun, guys. Have fun. Oh, that's dirty. <laughs> that, it that's is dirty. Just, that's this dirty pool. <laughs> but you know, when I came out to talk about this, I knew that's where it would go. I just didn't know how quickly it would be. And I, right. I, I, it was 11 months. I lasted 11 months. Hmm. Well, it, so. when you talk about things that people do not want to talk about, that they want to be able to just scoff at and dismiss and they can't, um, you know, they're more worried about what people think than what the truth is. Mm-hmm. And whether whether they're, you know, at any level, whether it's in business or, or academia or, or even, you know, in the community. Yep. And so they will react negatively to the person who points out the uncomfortable truths. Yeah, the world of appearances is what people have to keep up. That's why we get fixed jobs and put on pretty clothes and, and you know, put on this facade and then like, yeah, 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 I'm all that. Just yeah, look at me. Now you're, are you currently in Idaho? No, I'm in Colorado. I'm oh, okay. In Colorado. Okay, cool. Yep, yep. I'm nice and high in the San Luis Valley, so, uh, you know, whatever weird things are going to happen to this planet i'm in a rather remote location with uh you're you're actually in a place where a lot of weird things happen agreed <laughs> agreed <laughs> agreed uh, yeah well now when um when we talk about weather manipulation now a lot of people are familiar with you know like uh, dropping dry ice into the clouds and, mm-hmm. and things like that and that's that's about the extent of most people's knowledge but what are we talking about here uh what what 
process is taking place that someone, you know, we'll put quotation marks around that, is able to manipulate the weather on such a grand scale. I mean, you know, people aren't just, you know, uh, uh, flying airplanes and dropping dry ice into clouds. I mean, we're talking about something on uh, on a huge scale. Yeah, dry ice was just, uh, you know, kind of a training wheels to realize that, oh, my goodness, we can do this. We can extract rain or snow out of a deck of clouds. Even if it's not supposed to be raining or snowing, we can do that. <clears throat> and, you know, Area 51 and the operations and the experimentations and the communications with other other worlds and races and technologies that are, you know, much farther advanced is, have probably fed into this ability, as well as Tesla's research, Wilhelm Reich's research. There, there have been plenty of... of modern day, if you want to go back 70 years and call that modern, maybe even the last 100 years, who were brilliant, brilliant minds. And the the type of government we had, and it's it's slant for technology to be either either leveraged for the benefit of humanity or for the detriment of humanity and to benefit the few, I think that's really the larger agenda. And so I think that's uh, one of the reasons for an aspect of the trails in the sky is to keep the atmosphere doped up with conductive elements, small, fine, fine, fine particulates that have several agendas, weather simply being one of them. And when you have the conductivity of the atmosphere up greater than fourfold in the last 30 years, then 30 watts of power outside, you know, basically, let's use an analogy of side-scan radar. Like you've got a, a when what is it, MH370, that Malaysian Airlines flight, you know, went down into the Indian Ocean. They're using side-scan radar looking for an object. Let's use that same technology, that same analogy in an aircraft, either side, radar going out, or energy going out tuned to a specific frequency to do something to those particles that are always resident in the atmosphere. And if they're charged in a particular way, they are going to draw the water molecule to them with such great speed and such abundance that, oh, all of a sudden we have a cloud field. And it happened in minutes. And in time-lapse imagery, you can see that happening. And then by the same token, you can pulse out the side of these aircraft, which number the hundreds to a few thousand globally, and introduce waves that, just like a, a splash on the top of an ocean, this wave is going to course out across the sky and lop off, to use a crude term, the tops of thunderstorms. And then you'll see the modest clouds as a result of these thunderstorms literally being gutted from the middle. Right, so that's what's causing those formations? Yes. Go to YouTube and under, and, 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 and search for, um, basically there's a lot of great videos where people take their GoPro cameras and then go, they'll be scuba-ing underneath where waves are breaking as they come ashore. And you will see a direct analogy of those waves as they break compared to what we see in the atmosphere. I mean, the analogy is just freakishly similar. Again, we're dealing with fluid dynamics, the movement of fluids. Right. And the introduction of these waves. So that's what they're doing to knock back these thunderstorms is to hit them with, with these waves. You'll see the storms look like a funnel like a, a liquid funnel. If you're going to pour water into a gasoline tank or into the top of a bottle, the thunderstorms will take this movement with the, the clouds in parallel lines, all streaked in uniformity, 
to this place where they get a little bit of rainfall and then the modest clouds manifest underneath that. It's been subject to a strike, a hit, whether it's hard. Go ahead. I was going to say, it's interesting that you you make the point about fluid dynamics because I actually worked in a place... Uh, an engineering research center, and their their specialization area was uh, computational fluid dynamics. So I worked with these guys, uh, a lot of these engineers and you know, software guys, and and uh, with their images a lot, and became really familiar with a lot of the stuff that goes on. And I realized one day that most people don't realize this, but the ocean, for instance, is simply the thicker part of our atmosphere, right. or you could think of the atmosphere as the thinnest part of our oceans. But it's all part of the same thing you know we we differentiate between we have we have one area that's extremely dense and another area that's not as dense but the interaction between the two you you can't separate them they're 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 one thing and then you extrapolate that on up you can go all the way to the top of the atmosphere you know out into um you know the troposphere and all that stuff and uh yeah i mean it's all part of the same thing so when you start messing with one part of it it's in a closed system because it is a closed system for the most part, except, you know, as it's affected by space weather and electromagnetic stuff from the sun and things like that. But in general, it's fairly much, you know, a self-sustaining closed system. And you have different groups around the planet poking it and prodding it and, and messing with it. You're going to throw it out of whack sooner or later. And that's why I like to use the analogy of an Olympic-sized swimming pool. You know, and, and they put a small child in one of the quarters or anywhere in that pool. And the action of that movement impacts the entire body of water. This planet is the same. And so that's another reason for the chemtrails, is to be able to introduce counteracting waves to cancel out what has been introduced, say, over over Ohio and Indiana and Illinois. A, a corresponding wave has to be introduced over, over Missouri to then intersect that and null out its actions. Yeah. And then you've got to run another set of trails to make sure the, the bloody job's been done. You know, so there's, there's so many reasons to have them up there, and I have to hand it to these guys. It is elegant, other than the environmental pollution. It's, it's brilliant, but it does show complete disregard for the health of the planet and our health. And that's why I really my end desire is that we have public oversight, disclosure, and then public oversight. And we can't you know, have the, corporations the, you know, the in charge of it. Well, here's the here's the problem, though, Scott. Well, okay, many problems. Same, well, well, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with everybody, you know, getting all worked up about global warming and 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 stuff going into the atmosphere from coal plants and all this stuff. When you look, okay, they want everybody to sign on onto these treaties. Well, we're always finding new ways to clean up our energy anyway. It's just a, a natural progression because we are becoming more technologically advanced as we go along. But then you. They they say okay we got China to sign okay yeah China and India both have been told you don't even have to begin worried about this for thirty years in their in their part of the deal so they're building new plants like crazy to throw as much garbage into the atmosphere as they want to well let's say you have a, a, a something similar for um, well what you're talking about oversight on weather modification. I don't think for one minute that Russia and China and India and Japan are going to agree to let somebody else tell them to stop. Yeah. 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 Yep. I don't, I don't just I don't see them doing it. They're if just you, you know if you realize that it's done it's it's aware that it's happening, then you have the public going, Why did this happen? Why can't that happen? Mm. You know, you've got a lot of agendas that you would have to settle out. 
and it cannot be done on, on a nation-by-nation-by-nation by nation by nation basis, unless you were very large like the Russians. But then the impulse that allowed Sandy to eventually end up in its final course originated over, over, over the Soviet, over Russia. Hmm. And so, you know, there, there's a reason to have the UN. There is no reason to have the current governance of the UN. There you go. So I, I, I think that's, that's a solution, but there has got to be a complete gutting, absolute gutting of the leadership of this planet. Absolutely gutting. And there has to be an accountability and penance for what's happened. That has you, to know, happen. not, you know that's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I disagree. I disagree. Uh, unle- uh, well, unless, unless the, the, the landlord comes back, mm-hmm. I think we're pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not a... Guys, things are coming. Things are coming. Whatever you know, the universe is is a precisely. There is a precision. There is there are laws running this place. Mm-hmm. Yep, if you I want agree. to be, if you want to run ignorant of them, then those effects will come back to the causes you have put out, and and it is a precise, precise law. It may take moments for that effect to come back at you. It may take a generation or two, but it will come home to roost. This is a given. And so I have in, in utter faith, utter faith and knowingness that this will end. This will end. And we'll get a chance for humanity to rebuild without this leadership in place. They're going to scurry for their underground bases, and then they'll right. all be in one place. They'll all well, be know, in one place to be dealt what, with. What is, what is it that, uh, that it says? It says they hide beneath mm-hmm. the rocks of the, mm-hmm. of the mountains, but it doesn't do them any good. No, it won't. It yeah, won't. That's right. Because you'll understand that the physical matter is just an, but an extension of consciousness. So as, as this greater consciousness comes in, the movement of, of, of mountains, of ranges, of the oceans will all happen. And it yeah. will be so perfect, it'll leave you weeping in awe of when it happens. So I, <laughs> that's the good news. That's <laughs> yeah. the utter good news. So, Scott, um, how far back do you think that uh, that this sort of uh, weather mo- modification has has uh, been taking place? Any idea? That's a really tough question. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it, um, I think uh, the gross, the overt, the militarization of it has been going on since probably the early fifties. Oh, really? That far uh, back? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And then once they realized it could have a little bit of an effect, then it became it became a high budget item. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll get this done, guys, before the next war happens, before Vietnam happens. You know, the military industrial complex is always looking for a way to spend money, a way to get more power, to collect more power, to collect more authority, to lord over more groups of the population. And so, this is just one of those tools to bring nations to their knees. And that's what's happening to us, is to bring us to our knees. You let the, the planet blow up in population. It becomes wholly subsistent on, on the distribution of goods right. and services over great distances that is not sustainable by any degree. Yep. And then you take that away, and then they become, help us, help us, help us. Or you even and, threaten to reduce you know, access. No, there has to be an example. And then those that would be bold and brazen and, and you know, the, the patriot types will, will come to their knees because they have children to feed. Well, think about this, too. If you want to control people, the ultimate 
way to control any group of people, even a huge population, is to control the water. No mm-hmm. one lives without water, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at how, for instance, we were talking about the drought in California, even while the droughts are going on, Nestle is in there pumping the water out and, and barely paying anything, if anything at all, for it. Just like they, they've actually drained hundreds of thousands of gallons, millions of gallons, out of uh, Lake Superior, uh, given the go-ahead by the current administration to do so. And they're they're shipping it away. They're shipping it off and bottling it and sending it to China as bottled water. Okay. The bigger crime, though, when it, the yeah, bigger crime yeah, when it comes to water, and yeah. it'll make the California drought look minuscule in comparison, is the fracking. And yeah. the wholesale contamination of That's millions right. of square acres across aquifers. the heartland of this America. Yeah. Entire aquifers are being polluted. But here, here's the thing about this. We currently have an EPA, an administration in an EPA, who have now come out and said all water belongs to us, period. The water in the ditch behind your house belongs to us. The water in your gutters, in the puddles that falls from the sky belongs to us. Y'all don't believe that? Look it up. This, they're, in the last two years, they passed legislation that says that all water sources belong to the federal government and are under their jurisdiction. Now, that is designed to control people, mm-hmm. period. Yep. You know, I mean, yep. they're saying we're in, in store for a historic drought. Apparently, about a 1,000 years ago, North America goes through a, a, a major drought. It's cyclical. About every 1,000 years, it may be the drought that destroyed the Mayan Empire. And... You know, caused them to abandon all their cities and everything because they simply couldn't sustain them. Everybody they had, they were having wars over water resources, and they're saying, you know, that now and this is actually, you know, you can find it if you look it up. We're now entering, the, uh, we're actually starting the beginning of this this cycle where water sources in North America and in the Americas in general start to dry up. They become more scarce. Add to that what you're talking about, weather modification. And then the government trying to control it, maybe because they know that this is coming. Mm-hmm. But regardless, if you don't have a way to to obtain water without the government's say-so permission, without your local water department or whatever, you're under somebody's thumb for your very existence. This is true. This is true. They've got us lassoed into the fiat money system, which I think is also towards the end of its cycle. Um, but guys, I trust, I trust, I know that something is coming that will shake their grip on us to the point where they can't hold on to us anymore. Their time is coming out, out coming to an end, straight up. And so it'll, it'll allow us to generate our own monetary system. I firmly believe that Bitcoin is going to be an option um, simply because it's in place and it's global. Um, there may be localized EMPs, and that's people's biggest fear about that that change in currency. But you know, uh, it may be local, but ultimately, some there has to be some kind of unit for accounting, medium of exchange, and a bit of a store of wealth, and, and it answers all of those all of those things. And then it can be infinitely divisible rather than infinitely inflatable. And there, there's a huge difference. Um, the water's going to come back. Uh, I, there's, there's something coming from space. I'm telling you, there's something coming from space. I don't know what it is, but it isn't one object. It is many, many objects. Right. Um, so you're thinking in terms of, 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 of comets carrying water, but even that it impacts if large comets would, they don't, they don't end up leaving water. They end up leaving extreme heat and, uh, or shock. 
or it is one asteroid that they busted up into many pieces. And then it rains on the planet in hundreds, hundreds of pieces. And what that also does is that injects a copious amount of water vapor into the atmosphere. Right. Then has to rain out. So what? Where, where are you getting this information about an approaching object? Because I've been hearing this from several places. Um, I've had I've had an inner experience where it was told it was a skyfall event, skyfall. Um, and then somebody else who was who was was in the military and briefed on things had an experience about three years ago, and it was many 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 strikes, Western Pacific, across Asia, Australia, Africa. Europe, and then tapering off as the Earth continued to turn into the stream of events across uh, across the Atlantic and the Americas. Hmm. The Rand Corporation also had a paper, and I've been looking for it. I, I saw it some years ago and haven't been able to find it since. It was called uh, Recovering from 1900 Asteroid Impacts in the United States. 1900. So I think that's an aspect of what they're building underground structures for. And why the debt is unsustainable. They're literally giving us a Thelma and Louise moment where off the cliff we go. Yeah. And they've got they, parachutes they, they, to they get out, that, out of the car. Yeah, in other words, create the uh, the monopoly money as much as you can and use it as fast as you can because it's all going to end anyway. Exactly. And then leave us above Charge up ground. all the credit cards. Yeah. yeah. And then leave us above ground without seeds that are reproduce. Yeah. That's the scary thing. Mm-hmm. 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 So then farmers don't have their seed stores. They've got to go to Monsanto, which then won't be there. It won't be there. And then we have all of these duds. You know, you plant, you know, a hundred, hundred acres of wheat crop and you may get a half an acre that eventually comes up and matures. And so what we'll need to fix that, um, instead of using petroleum to fertilize, we need to use a diluted salt water. The salt water returns those elements back to the ground. And the example of that is the Indonesian, the Banda Aceh earthquake that happened in 2004, where upwards of 10,000 square miles of farmland, rice land, were inundated by seawater. The farmers freaked out, thinking that their lands had been salted. And so that would, that keep, would keep them from producing. The monsoons came, the salt water was diluted and run out to sea, but the elements remained in the soil. And to this day, their harvests on those locations are double what they were before. So this is what we need to be farming with and fertilizing with. You take like a 55-pound bag of salt, dilute it into 1,000 gallons of water, and there's your fertilizer. Plain and simple. Plain and simple. And nobody needs Monsanto or Dow or Scott Chemical, Bayer Pharmaceutical. They're irrelevant, utterly irrelevant when it comes to farming. Okay, so you're saying to use salt? Is that what she said? Salt. Use a diluted salt. And if you want to give it an extra boost, you then take that salt water and you alkalinize it. Mm-hmm. You take the alkalinization of of, uh, of the salt, take it up to about 10.7, and you'll create uh, something called ormus, O-R-M-U-S. And that will revert the strains that have been GMO'd back to their heritage. It'll, re- it'll reset the genes of this. Ormus. And so there's all of these answers. We've got everything we need. We just need government out of the way. And then we can heal this planet. Well, so know, that's, that's that. Mm-hmm. Go, go finish your thought there, Scott. I'm sorry. No, I'm just saying that we, we've got the solutions. I mean, we've got the solutions for cancer, for Alzheimer's, for autism. Everything is here. 
the only thing standing in the way is the AMA and the FDA and, and, and the FBI and the IRS. All of these things just need to go away. All these that's letter groups. I, there's letter groups, mm-hmm. which claim one thing and do exactly the opposite. Mm-hmm. They have us li- living in delusion, planet-wide, living in delusion, thinking that they're the solution when they are the problem. And it doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat, they're both the same uh, a slightly yep. different shade of the darkness. It does not matter. Well, you know, Scott, uh, uh, talking about using uh, uh, salt water, diluted salt water for um, uh, uh, fertilizer, it's uh, very reminiscent of the, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was a, uh, um, uh, a farming commune in Scotland, I think it was. Uh, starting back in the 70s, they started using uh, pulverized uh, rocks. And they would they would get those rocks, I guess, just from like a local uh, um, um, uh, local quarry, yep. and they would yep. uh, they'd sow that rock in uh, that rock dust into their gardens. And I mean, they uh, and, and continuing to this day, they get fantastic results with their vegetables. Uh, it's the same thing, yeah, huge, you're do- huge yep. crops. Because yep. it's the water cycle that bleaches the land, bleaches the soils. You've got rain and snow and this constant, incessant precipitation, which is a good thing to a point. And, but these elements then end up in the streams and the creeks and the rivers and eventually collecting back in the oceans. And this is why oceanic inundation is so important for cycles, that the water's got to come inland. And the salt lake is salty for a reason. And when that water came in last time, it came over the Sierra, over the Blues, over over the Bitterroots, and settled into southern Idaho, into the whole of Utah, and then drained out through the Grand Canyon. Eventually, drained out through through uh, Hell's Canyon in western Idaho and into the Columbia River Gorge. That's why those canyons are so fantastic. Is because the water was so intense and so high and ran so fierce for so long, and why those places are so productive. And it's the oceans. It's the, the ocean is the answer. And so they poisoned the Gulf of Mexico and they poisoned the Pacific because the oceans are the answer. So, yeah. And, and rock dust is, has those elements in it. It's just the condensation or the collection of these elements in rock form. So we've, we've got the answers. All right, we just need a different media. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's time for us to uh, uh, take our break right now, so uh, let's go ahead and do that. And when we come back, uh, uh, Scott, we can uh, continue this uh, line of uh, conversation. So this is Tim Swartz uh, with Mike Mott. Our guest tonight is Scott Stevens, and we're talking about uh, uh, weather manipulation, modification, warfare, and uh, other uh, sundry facts. So we will be right back. Stay tuned for more.
first time in the inspired pages of Bible Spells, Reverend William Orabello unveils a concealed code hidden throughout the Holy Scriptures that can bring you an abundance of money, personal success, as well as love, good luck, healing, happiness, and protection of your home as well as loved ones. More important than the Bible code or Nostradamus' prophecies, this secret code was revealed to Reverend Orabello during an encounter with divine, supernatural beings who changed his life forever. Now you can learn this unique system yourself to materialize all of your personal needs and influence others. Order William Orabello's Bible Spells from Amazon.com or get your copy, a free Bazaar Bazaar subscription as well as a bonus companion DVD for $20 with free shipping and handling by calling 646-331-6777. Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions. Providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support. Hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application, Mobile Talk Radio. Imagine having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. You'll be surprised how easy it is to use. So I think what's going on here is that Obama is banking on unemployment falling. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Talk Stream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. We're rewarding you for something you already do, listening to us. It's Radio Loyalty, and it's an easy way for you to get free stuff. All you do is sign up. Go ahead and click the banner now. You'll earn points as you listen, points you can trade in for great products and services in the Radio Loyalty store. You can earn even more points when you share your favorite station with friends on Facebook and Twitter. Radio Loyalty, it's free to sign up, so click the banner to join now.
Okay. Welcome back to The Outer Edge. I'm Jim Swartz with Mike Mott and our guest, Scott Stevens. And we're talking about uh, uh, weather manipulation, weather warfare. And uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, Scott, I remember back in the, uh, oh gosh, it was probably like the middle, uh, around 1976, there was a, a thing called uh, the Woodpecker. And mm. it, it was a uh, a very annoying uh, sound signal, whatever you have it, that was going across a, a, a number of uh, shortwave radio bands. And uh, I know a lot of ham radio operators uh, were complaining about it. And the official designation of it was that it was a uh, over-the-horizon radar system being tested by the, uh, the then-Soviet Union. <laughs> but then it came out, uh, there were a number of people who noticed that there was a correlation to when the woodpecker signal was activated and uh, some uh, rather unusual weather activity uh, over the United States. Are you, are you familiar with this? Yeah, that was uh, my introduction to the woodpecker grid was, uh, or the sound was, was again from Bearden, and he stated that that sound that showed up between three and thirty megahertz on ham radio, uh, and that was bicentennial weekend or, or July 4, nineteen seventy six, and and according to Bearden, that was the beginning of Soviet weather manipulation or interference within our weather o- over North America. Did you guys hear that? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's the woodpecker. What, did play, you just hear something? Play play that again. Go ahead. Now this... Yeah. yeah, we didn't, we didn't hear I'm it not, this time. I'm not hearing it. Yeah. It's gone. Let me see if I can... Uh, it'll start again. It runs... It's a minute 32 file. Okay. Is that louder? Yeah, I hear it. I vaguely hear it. So this is something that, uh, what's the megahertz on this? Where's it at? 3 to 30 is what he said. Um, Hmm. This is is the Soviet or the old Russian signal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Are Are they still putting this out? Indeed. Indeed. Wow. So it's okay. Uh, so do you do you think that the harp array was our answer to this? Very well could have been. Yeah, <laughs> yeah honestly, very I, well could I would have think been. so. But yeah, the harp array was working on different uh, different frequencies, though. I mean, it was more of a. Uh, well, uh, I honestly, well, it could, do a lot, it could do a lot of things, but it, oh, yeah. it you know, it's obviously going to be a response at that time to the Soviet Union in some way. I, w- I would say, mm-hmm. um, very interesting. Yeah, and. Yeah, that Harper raised a fascinating bit of information, and I had, was able to interview Bernard Eastland. It was uh, November of 2007, and he was um, he was dead within the month. Um, so I, I was, we were the last ones to to interview him, and he was very interested in in what I was doing with uh, with the researcher, which was electromagnetic fields in thunderstorms and uh, pH soils. Uh, having an influence on the rotational direction of dust devils, hmm. and uh, that was that was something that was very fascinating to him. But he wouldn't he wouldn't touch weather and what its potential capabilities were with weather. He would not go there. 
And so, you know, I, I didn't push it. I, I wanted to respect those boundaries that he felt he had. Well, I guess he, he did not want to talk about it. I guess it would be a better way of putting it, wouldn't it? Agreed. Agreed. Because yeah. I would suppose if he knew that the date of his passing was that close, he probably would have been a little more forthcoming. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it, it is what it is. And, and, you know, now there's not just that installation, but still many more around the, the globe. So they're effective to some degree and for a purpose. They're absolutely effective. Otherwise, they wouldn't be building or continue to build more and more of them. So, yeah. well, that, that's just it, though. I mean, you know, uh, we've been we've been talking about this, and uh, you know, a lot of people like to point fingers at the United States or or Russia as being the uh, the chief culprits uh, of this technology and and their manipulations, but um, they're not the only ones. You know, the United States and you know Russia, they're they're not the only ones. There there are a number of other countries that have have gotten a hold of the same technology mm-hmm. and are uh, in in involved in their own uh, little games. And then who runs the installations? That's you know, if there's one in New Zealand or one in Alice Springs in in the outback of Australia, who runs them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we, we we've got 160 bases littered across you know the world. So who runs them? Are they all in concert, or is there truly uh, an us versus them agenda, you know, meaning within the sovereigns, U.S., Soviet, U.S., China, U.S., this, U.S., I guess that, or yeah, is I, I was, it I was, Earth I against suspect, something else? Well, it could have been a little bit of everything, but, you know, I, I suspect that, you know, it's going to be the traditional groups that work together. I mean, Australia and USA would probably work together, New Zealand will be in there, you know, and Russia and China would probably be kind of on the same team, and, mm-hmm. you know, the same old stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't think the Cold War ever really ended, for one thing. I, I, I don't believe it for a minute. Um, I just think they just repackaged everything and changed their presentation. Um, I mean, I, and that goes for both sides. Um, I did want to ask you something else. You were talking earlier about salts and alkalizing salt and turning it into a healthy, uh, invigorating substance. Now, you've got a company called Blue Water Alchemy. You want to tell us a little bit? about what you guys do and what that's all about? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I met someone in, uh, in 2009, and he was had had a, how do I even get this kindly, but we're kind of that kind of show, um, was subject to, to a, an engineered mosquito virus. And the term that the CDC told him, because they brought in their doctors in, in northern Colorado to deal with it, they called it the mystery virus. You know, not quite 70 people died from it. Wow. Um, yeah, and it was five different tropical viruses spliced into one to be used in the Middle East in, in warfare. Um, either it was accidentally released or intentionally released in northern Colorado as a test bed. And uh, this person caught the virus and was one of, there was only one or two survivors. And during this experience, he kept having, you know, a, a dream of this solution. And it was a white liquid, you know, that they kept pouring into his body to nourish him. And there was, there was an energy with it. And so he, um, had a, a near death experience because it took him to the end. It, it, it literally profoundly damaged the myelin sheath of his, of his nervous system, you know, feathers growing out of his back and so forth. It was that genetically tweaking his, his system. And the NIH was taking blood sample after blood sample after blood sample so they could, as we later discovered, you know, to, build uh, an inoculation for it. 
um, to refine something out of his blood. And so after this second near-death experience, he woke up, turned on the radio, and it was, it was February of 2004. And Barry Carter from SubtleEnergies.com was on talking about a liquid called Ormus, O-R-N-U-S, and how it was, quote-unquote, like a, light, a white liquid from heaven, end quote. And so uh, my partner was like, oh, oh, that matches the imagery that I've been given on the internet. So he gets up and, and starts to kind of explore it and you know, within the next couple of days has a bottle arrive. And so he, he takes it and knows that that's going to repair his nervous system and so that he can, he can get back to work and, and, and continue on. And so uh, for the next couple of years, he, he took classes on how, how to make it and was sharing it with friends and family. And then I met him. And I obviously wasn't working in TV anymore, and there really wasn't you know a, a, a job for me in, in the media. And uh, we started Blue Water Alchemy. And it's it's paid the bills around here, and, you know, we it, it, it's great for... One of the issues that we're dealing with our environment now is this environmental pollution. And it's profound ability to change our endocrine system, to change our hormones, to deal with and and basically put this agenda of infertility out across the world. And it's it's an aspect of population control. We're also dealing with more gallons. And these elements in their monatomic and diatomic form short out more gallons. Um it allows the DNA and chromosomes to begin to repair themselves. Okay, I have a couple of questions. First of all, mm-hmm. what do you think Morgellons is? It's a nanotechnology. That's what I thought, too. Yeah, it's, it's nanotechnology. Creating, creating, it's creating polymers out of, out of living, flat, out, out of living mm-hmm. tissues, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And there, there are little CPUs, and, and they live off the biofield of, of the host. So who do so, you think created it? Not humans. That's what I think too. Not humans. It's not natural, though. No. Um, and, and, go yeah, ahead. Go for it. No, and, and the the Ormus just goes so far into shorting out that those technologies. And you know, when right. when when the, the Morgellons develops and develops, if you take the Ormus and just swish it in your mouth, or even bathe in it. Um, then the, the the stuff just crawls out of your body, crawls out of your body. Then you've got to dispose of it without recontaminating your you know your your living quarters. How do it's you not, re-dispo- how do you dispose of it? Down the drain, flush it. So you don't you worry do about that, it. Like, will it contaminate the environment until it gets picked up and then is reanimated on on the new host? That's terrible. It is terrible. Um, here, here's another question. You're making these from salts. I'm looking at your website, bluewateralchemy.com, for, for your uh, for your supplements here. <laughs> and you guys are making these from salts from all over the world, different locations, different types of salts. And some of these I've heard heard of before, like the, the Himalayan salts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, do you take any of these from the Pacific? And if you do, are you worried at all about Fukushima radiation being present? You know, we uh, bought a Geiger counter in 2012. And uh, had stocked up on the Hawaiian salt that we use for a particular product called 195. Yeah. And uh, we had had a, a stock of, of Sonoma salts off the Pacific coast, but we won't buy North Pacific salts anymore. We just won't do it. Um, yeah. There's a, a great salt source on the north side of the South Island in, in New Zealand. 
And so that's become our Pacific source. Uh, the, the Mid-Pacific had been one of the highest or had the highest quantities of, of, of gold elements in the salts um, outside of the Dead Sea region. Uh, but we just we can't use it anymore. We can't use it. Um, so there's a, a two- to three-year inventory of those salts. But there's a, a great one off the co- off the north coast of Brazil that it, that is really good. Um, the Dead Sea salt, with its uh, magnesium and calcium hydroxides, after it goes through the alkalinization process. Um, and I can't want to say the beautiful thing about Ormus is it's largely inert. And so you, we're talking about taking these elements, converting them into essentially their ceramic form. And so the element iridium, element seventy-seven, when it drops right. in, into your into your body and your chromosomes and DNA, instead of being able to move about ten thousand electrons per second in the communication systems through your body, you can move nearly a million. So it's wow. a five magnitude increase. And once the body sees that it has an issue, it, right. once it sees it, it can begin to readjust the stem cell creation to address the problem that it now recognizes that it didn't have before. That's the problem with cancer. The the body just sees it as a growth. Let's feed it, let's feed it, let's feed it. It doesn't recognize and send the signals to simply turn it off. Right. So you, which of your products do you think has the highest iridium? I like the 19.5. I like the 19.5 because there is that Hawaiian alia uh, red clay in it. And to be honest with you, it, it tastes the best. And so you can taste it by adding, say, a teaspoon in an eight-ounce glass of water, do it in the morning, or you take it straight under the tongue sublingually, swish it around to the mouth, and I like it. I like to take it that way. So then the body knows what's coming, recognizes it, and then there's this sweet aftertaste that that ensues, and that is the gold aspect of this pinging the pineal gland. Wow. So is this in... Dry form or is it in wet no, form? It's liquid. It's a liquid. It's four liquid. ounce bottle. Okay. Four what kind ounce, of suspension ounce. are you using? Water. Water. Okay. Cool. And we are in, in southern Colorado. The town we're in is a little town called Crestone. And so our water is fresh off the mountains. Fresh off the mountains. There, there's no contaminants. It, it runs through the sandy tops of the mountains, and our, our wells are first. And then we restructure the water with, with magnets, and then through uh, a restructuring device, it basically goes through an implosion uh, process. And then uh, it just tastes really good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really tough. My mom lives out in Idaho. I was back there for a couple of weeks this spring, and she was having her 70th birthday, and she also has well water. And I'm like, Mom, this stuff is nasty. This is just nasty, you know, compared to the water, you know, I drink at home. And so when I, I go to the cities, I just, I don't drink the water I should just because it's nasty. And, you know, it's, it's, it, the water is such a basic, basic need of all of us. And it's, it's more expensive than a gallon of gasoline now to buy, you know, a quart of water in the grocery store or in the, in the fast food store. It's ridiculous what's happened with water in the last 30, 40 years in this country. It's ridiculous. And we talked about Nestle early on. And that company believes that water isn't a right. Mm. To have access to clean water isn't a right. It's a purchasable right. And I have I have a problem with that. I have a, it's I have a, nat- a deep problem. It's a natural it's a natural right. Mm-hmm. If you're a resident of this planet, you have a right to food, shelter, and water. Mm. Plain and simple. Okay, here, here's a question. Mm-hmm. What do you? What's the deal with Himalayan pink salt? Is it? What are its uh, 
properties. That that salt is about 260 million years old. Mm. And about the time the dinosaurs bet largely their demise, because there's still a contingent of reptiles on this planet. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it is a result of the state of the oceans before that deluge, before those those impacts from space. And the, the planet was younger, and, and I don't want to say healthier, because, you know, healthy is just, it's all relative. But it has a lot of those elements. And, you know, we go to the store and we buy salt, and they tell you, buy iodized salt, buy iodized salt. You know, it's another one of those delusions that they have us living in, that that's the answer. Right. If you buy iodized salt, that means they've simply taken everything else out. And that's all you're left with. This is sodium chloride and iodine. Oh, goody. Goody, where are all the other elements? They've been taken out and then added with an anti-caking agent. What's the last thing you want to buy is, is, is Morton salt with that, with that exclamation. Mm. You want to buy natural, unprocessed sea salt. And if it cakes right. a little, so what? Give it an impact, break it up, and then use it. You know, we're not so retarded that we can't do that. Right. Do you, do you guys offer anything made with black lava salt? I've heard of that too. No, we don't. We don't. Okay. Um, the, the Hawaiian Alia salt in the 19.5 would be the closest to that. What we have tried to do are, are get salts that are from volcanic regions. Hawaii having been one of them. Um, there are, there's an Andes salt that is in several of, of the Ormuses, and that comes from, um, from a spring. In, in fact, that Andes salt, uh, comes from a spring high in the Andes that was an old ocean that was folded over and essentially encapsulated a long, long time ago. So it's never been exposed to present-day atmosphere. So it's it's a pristine, pristine salt. And a couple of crystals a day, and you just melt it in your mouth, and, and you're getting those elements. You know, and the reason why we would like people to use it in their gardens um, is that the food simply tastes better. How many salad bars have you gone to and you pop on the cherry tomato and you, you, you chew it and you're like, you know, yeah, why did I even get this? You <laughs> I know, chew it at a Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah it's like, ugh, <laughs> it's, it's nasty. You know, and when the plants are healthy, their, their yield goes through the roof. The apples look like grapefruit. The oranges look like cantaloupes. Mm-hmm. The, the trees that begin... You know, young, you really need to start them young. Otherwise, you're going to go through a profound pruning because the fruit gets so heavy on their branches that, you know, you're at risk of, uh, of overstressing them. And it really reverts the gardens back to a Garden of Eden when the right. salts had recently been inland and everything was healthy. The lettuce yeah. tastes good. The sizes are, you know, Swiss chard will be as big as, you know, as your upper body. The leaves get that massive. It's just, it's unreal. You know, those old stories are not just stories. There's an aspect of truth. We just don't know why they were the way they were. Right. Well, and plus that food is nutrient dense as well. It's, they're not just big and numerous. The, 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 the nutrients are off the scale. You know, based on minerals a lot of times. You look at Americans and we're profoundly obese in a quarter of the population. We're hungry. We're hungry all the time. We're hungry because our nutrient demands, our nutrient requirements are not being met. One right. Big Mac isn't enough. you got to have two or three. Exactly. And then we, we drink all of this carbonated drink, which simply blows up, expands, your body. Because, 
it, yeah. and the acids, the acids, the acids. Oh my yeah, goodness! Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so we're we're being intentionally poisoned, and we're doing it to ourselves because we choose to eat this way because right. there are so few other options. And karmically, they can do it because yeah. you know every food, every spoonful, every forkful, every handful of food we put in our mouth, we do of our own choosing. Okay, and so that absolves them of of the repercussions. Sure, sure. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, okay, nutritionally speaking. Which salt do you think is superior, the Himalayan or the or the uh, the Hawaiian Alaya? Is that how you say it? Alaya, Alaya, Alaya. Which which one is is? I, I would probably say the Himalayan. I would say the Himalayan. The Himalayan, okay. and that would be in in the product called the Eye. Yep. Okay. Cool. And uh, that tastes pretty darn good too. And we've we've had a lot of people who, with you know, with their intuitive abilities, really kind of gravitate towards that particular one. So. Mm. I was just going to say, you know, it always amuses me when uh, you hear these, uh, you know, experts, and I'll put quotation marks around there, when it comes to uh, uh, talking about uh, different sorts of salt. And they'll say, oh, well, you know, there's no difference between, you know, Morton salt or Himalayan salt or, you know, sea salt. They, you know, Himalayan sea salt, they may have some, you know, extra minerals, but, you know, they're no, they are no more beneficial for you than just, you know, plain old Morton salt with, uh, you know, extra iodine into that. And I'm just like, you know, people believe that, you know, they're, they're, they just, you know, they have, they have no idea uh, the, the, the health benefits of of these salts with their you know included minerals that haven't been taken away no they they don't and there there is an intentional obscuring of of the importance of salt um you know they tell us to go on on non-fat diets well that only leaves you with carbohydrates and proteins Mm. and how do you get proteins without fats Mm -hmm. and then without fats how do how do cells communicate across themselves you have to have that that solubility um, right. Uh, 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 fats. You know, it's just, it's insane what they've done to us. And a lot of it's just simply confusing. And so people give up and say, I'll just eat what tastes good. And then when the food is loaded up with MSG, what used to taste good now is so doped up that, you know, you, you, everything is out of whack. Everything's out of balance. But just not eating bleached salt or consuming bleached salt or cooking with bleached salt will change a lot of things. A lot of these trace elements you can't get in anything but salt. Right. Well, and if you uh, if you were to get these get these salts and that, you know just get the salts themselves, and then prepare your your food and you know, say to this healthy food, we'll assume that it's it, that it is, and then putting the salt directly on mm-hmm. the food once it's prepared. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that would also be a good way to ingest yeah. this stuff. Absolutely. You know, it wouldn't be in its monatomic or diatomic form, but you'll get the elements right. in a metallic form, which is better than nothing. And right. that's the way that the, that Banda Aceh tsunami, it was, it was simply the salts, mm. basic salt in the elements, not even in their diatomic form. Instead of going at a 100% yield increase, they may have had a 150 to 200% yield increase had they been able to use um, the alkalinized or the Ormus version of the salts. You know, so uh, it, it, I, I see a day... When oil is done, and we've realized that there are other now classified ways of, of collecting and generating and transmitting energy. When Tesla's inventions that were around, you know, 90 years ago are finally released. Hmm. And, you know, the 21st century truly begins. 
Because right now we're just dealing with an extension of the 19th and 20th century. You know, nothing's really changed. You know, where, where the pipeline system, we could have repurposed super tankers sitting in the Gulf of Mexico, sitting on right. Cape May, sitting in Puget Sound, sitting in, 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 in San Francisco Harbor, doing this alchemy doing this alkalinization of seawater and then pumping through 36-inch pipes, 48-inch pipes, this stuff upstream. Instead of it all draining downstream into the ocean for export, this stuff goes upstream and into the farms. And then you're not you're not using, you know, the extra salinity on land. It all happens in the ocean. And then you also set up these tankers to crisscross the ocean, crisscross the ocean, to alkalinize and to heal these things, to heal right. the planet. And it's not going to take any more than a couple of space missions to do. It's not going to be that expensive. You know, it costs a whole lot more to pollute than it will to heal. We just need to have a different priority in place. And again, that comes back to honorable, uh, honorable leadership with integrity. And that's not something we have when the banks get the final say. Yeah. Well, that, that brings up the question then, uh, Scott. Uh, what is the reason that uh, the, the world's population is being told uh, such false information, especially when it comes to nutrition? You yeah. know, I mean, is it basically to keep us uh, uh, fat, lazy, and stupid? Yeah, and, 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 and easily corralable. And that's why the yeah. IQ Pop- and the education is going control. Yeah. I, about, I mean, I really believe Agenda 21 is a very real thing. Very because well. the, elites see, the elites see this as their playground, and you know they, don't, they really don't want to share anymore. Let's look at another basic of nature. Everything feeds on the life form just beneath it. Mm-hmm. The plants, the plants feed on the minerals. Animals feed on the plants. We feed on both plants and animals. What yeah. feeds on us? What feeds on us? What's the next energetic level above this gross, dense physical form? Yeah, and that's where the elite get their power. They use they use ritual, they use rite, they use occultism, and they have yeah. drawn to them the lowest, grossest, darkest of those forms, which feed on the life form just beneath them. So they have allowed this planet to grow in population. They keep it in stress and strife and and, and, and a poverty consciousness and in profound ignorance so that that darkness can feed on this population. And I think that's why we're being corralled to this end game. So there's a feast of humanity offered up to this darkness. And that's what we need to break. And so there's going to be this great battle that happens in the lower levels of heaven. Because up there, earth is a schoolyard. This this physical, this dense 3D, 4D reality is a schoolyard. But yet this, this all of this energy has been crafted as a sacrifice up to these dark masters that our, our leadership then worships and gets their guidance and direction from. And once that that link is broken... Then we'll be free. And I think that is what is imminent. That breakage of their connection to the lower dark astral realms will be broken. Yeah. And then we'll be able to, to rebuild, regrow, and begin again. So that's, uh, 
and in a way that that becomes an aspect of the second coming because then then souls can come down here and teach and enliven and 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 make aware the true spiritual realities that the catholic church will never pass on <laughs> that your your local pastor is wholly ignorant of no they don't know they don't know so it's um I think that's what's that is truly what is coming, and, and the time for that is 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 short, is very very short. But yet it's it's exciting because you know we we can make aware of you know everybody of what's happening, but it's going to take the divine to cut the cord that binds us. What do we do once that happens? What do we do? Do we just devolve and into wandering into the wilderness without leadership? No, there'll be there'll be there'll be leadership. There'll be connection. There'll be teaching and learning and, and, and awareness that will, will begin this 21st century, to begin this new age. And this is, and we'll come back to that saying, where it is always darkest before the dawn. Mm-hmm. And it's very dark right now. And we're very, very polarized. Where this is right and this is wrong and, and there's no in-between. Well, truth only resides in that space, that holy space where the two sides that what they have that which they have in common, and so we're we're so polarized now that we won't even sit down and talk to each other about yep. those things that we have in common. Well, it's it's manipulation, you know, mm-hmm. pretty much completely, right? completely, completely. They've divided us into red and blue camps, and they're laughing, they're laughing yep. at us. I agree, man. So, <laughs> uh, it just, you know, it, it it always amuses me when when I hear. You know, say like partisan bickering, uh, uh, back and forth about you know who's uh, you know who's right and who's wrong, liberal, conservative, you know what have you, and it's just you know I I I, I, I want to scream sometimes and say you know don't you realize that you're being you're both sides are being played uh, made the fool. You know, it's, mm-hmm. yep. same goes for a lot of uh, different countries on this planet too. You know, who are constantly bickering with each other. Yeah. So, you know, don't you guys? You know, do, you know, don't you realize that there is, you know, somebody up a little bit uh, higher that is deliberately causing this, and you're just dancing like puppets. You know, mm-hmm. that's right. Yep, yep. And the Middle East is a great example of that right now. It's a, it's a, it's the perfect example of that. And uh, oh well, that's a whole other show. That's a whole other show, guys. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> because the, I mean, the answers are there. I mean, the answers are there. We just have to be able to get out of our own way to see them. Yeah. And, um, that's 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 going to be the challenge. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you I I agree. The answers are, are are there, but then you know you have the you know again I'll bring up you know the so called experts you know that uh, that that then go and and dissuade everybody uh, from from looking into those directions. You know, and uh, it's it's just basically this this fear mongering and hope denial. That that is taking a place nowadays. So we could be distracted by you know the news. We could be distracted by the Kardashians. We could be distracted by you know the police brutality. We could be distracted by the election. You know, there's there's this whole buffet of things that they put out in front of us, and every one of those issues is going to grab an aspect of the population and hold their attention. And and in that way, you keep us. You know, all in a corral still, 
but looking this way, looking that way, looking this way, and not seeing beyond the corral. And that we're truly not free at all. And never really have been. Yeah, we never have been. We're just fed and content. (laughs) We're not free. We're not free at all. So, um, <laughs> we're like we're like cattle in the feedlot, so to speak. Truly, yeah, absolutely. Yep, yep. and we, and we we hear the slaughtering going on. We hear it. We hear it because there's always somebody being taken, taken, taken in there, and then fed to the population. There's the, 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 there's a shooting in a church here. There's a Boston bombing. You know, and that's that's what those events are. Somebody's been taken to the slaughterhouse, and then the population is fed the results of that. Yep. Whether it's a well, false well, actors or not. Those those things are often uh, very symbolic in the entire way this, they unfold. Mm-hmm. I, I think they're ritualistic a lot of times. Um, you know, that being said, I, I believe that there are also groups that traditionally, going back for centuries, they, they are bloodthirsty people. And so, you know, it, it's just like, uh, it, it's, all, it's all the belief. You know, if you believe that butchering people and killing innocent people will, you know, get you 72 ways to get laid in paradise forever, then, you, then some people are going to do that. They're going to believe it and they're going to buy into it. You know, but it's all manipulation. I, I, I look at it as anything that tells you to hurt somebody else is a bad thing. Yep. That's what people, people have to start thinking that way or else we're pretty much doomed. Yep. Who fee, who's feeding on you right now? Yeah. Why exactly. are you are you in, in a grateful um you know, loving state of being, not in the de- desires, I want this, I want that, or just, you know, projecting your desires on somebody else, but, you know, truly the state of, 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 of centered humbleness and gratitude. Right. Or are you agitated because that candidate said this or that, or, or dudes got married in Tennessee? It's like, OMG. You know, yeah. what has your attention and is it really worth it? Because it's <laughs> sucking your energy. It's sucking your energy and you're so blindly stupid to know that that's what's happening and it is blind stupidity and that's the way they want it that's the way they want it because if we actually stood back and could observe what's going on with some aspect of objectivity rather than taking sides because as soon as you take the side of an issue you enter into a slavery well don't forget you know Machiavelli told his nephews the same thing. He said, "You know, if you want to rule and rule effectively, divide yourselves into camps. As far as the population is concerned, mm-hmm. create issues to argue about. Uh, the people will take sides, and they will get they will stay in a state of continued continuous uh, conflict with each other, thinking that you're on their side. And while they squabble over these things that you have concocted for them to squabble about, you do the real ruling from behind the scenes." That's it. That's, that's what, it. That's what's been going on. Yep. Yep. For a long, long time. Very probably, long time. Probably since the Egyptians were uh, lording over their populations, you yep. know, and, and then taxation and numbers and royalty of bloodlines, you know, all of those things. And we could probably even go back farther than that, that who instilled the Egyptians and who made them kings and who declared that those bloodlines were royal and proper and, and, and the ones that should be ruling. You know, so we really, really dig, dig deep back into the annals of time if you, if you want to contemplate these issues with a proper perspective. Way back in time. And then you're like, oh, God, let's just send some waves across the planet and try again. <laughs> it's, pro- it's probably going to happen. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. Sooner or later, it's, you know, something like that will happen, a, a grand reset. Because we all know this isn't the first expression of humanity on this planet, besides, no, despite this mo- no. the Smithsonian says. No, not by a long oh. shot. Oh, no. There were giants here. You know, there, yeah. were, there, were, there were other beings here on this planet. And for some, some reason... Of, they, some of them are still here. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And then we could talk about underground bases if is it. If you want to go that direction, <laughs> that, that sounds like another show topic because right. the the underground aspect is something Tim and I both are very well versed in. So we can mm-hmm. definitely talk about that at some point. Absolutely, that would definitely have- be a two hour show. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and uh, and and Colorado, uh, according to uh, some of my sources, is a uh, 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 quite active in the whole underground base, underground tunnel uh, scenario. Yeah. Would you have? <laughs> Guys wandering the wrong corridor, DIA. You know, they go down. You know, thinking they're they're getting to get out or go somewhere, and then they go down a hallway, and the ceilings are a bit taller than usual. And oh, there's the men's room. I need that. And then the urinals are six foot high in the wall, and all I can do is look into the bottom of them. Be like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm really, really not supposed to be here. And then they scamper out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was right. So, uh, well, not only not only that, but I mean, you know, you have the scenarios that you know Mike and I have discussed before that uh, uh, some of these tunnels have been around uh, a lot longer than our military has been around uh, digging them. That's out. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so when you ask how long the the, uh, the weather modification technology goes in, then then that's the other rabbit hole you look into. Oh, really? You know, if, is it is it just dozens of years, or is it dozens of millennia? Yeah, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, you know, you you look at some of the stories in the Bible. Uh, there, uh, that's uh, some of those are obvious uh, military uh, military uh, weather manipulation. I mean, you know. Absolutely. You just, you know, raining frogs. You know, <laughs> I, I think you you've got to begin to explore the the story of the Anunnaki at that point. Yes. You know, who are they? What were they? What were the capabilities? You know, they didn't go away. Come on now, they didn't. I think they're anxious for us to mature. Well, I, I guess. Uh, well, I, I actually see them as a negative retrograde force. But you know, when you look at the the recently when the lady who was the lead counsel for the World Bank and she was let go for a variety of reasons because she got tired of seeing all the things that they were doing and that the movers and shakers were doing and she basically came out uh, I guess about a year ago and at Tim she said a second species actually runs the planet they're in control of finances they're in control of science they're in control of of everything religion everything and that uh, they've been running the planet for a long time and that they require human beings in order to procreate in order to reproduce themselves so they're kind of like a parasite species and so you know this is a serious person great credentials um you know karen hughes right yes yeah yeah so i think we need to be paying very close attention to what she's saying and i think it ties into a lot of a lot of the mysteries that that we are that people stay baffled about all the time, and she was absolutely ignored. Did you? Yes. Hear, you I mean, did you hear any of that on you know the uh, national news or in your local newspaper? Not. No, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because what, what what she's talking about are the are the elongated skull, mm-hmm. sometimes double dentition, nephilim or Anunnaki. That's who she's yeah. talking about. Well, it explains why the Egyptians kings and queens wore the headdresses that they wore. Yeah, was to hide. That shape of a skull. Yeah. 
Well, see, they're they, still they're they're still here. They just they just stay out of sight for the mm-hmm. most part. <laughs> yep. But they're keenly interested in, in space travel and 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 uh, it's all of it. It's all of it. <laughs> they're lording they're lording from behind the scenes. Yep. That's just what what's happening. Well, gentlemen, uh, unfortunately, we are almost out of time here. So, uh, Scott, I want to give you the opportunity to uh, let our listeners uh, know about uh, your websites and uh, you know any other activities that uh, that you'd like to uh, get out there for uh, for everyone. We talked about Blue Water Alchemy, which is the one that uh, pays the bills around here and keeps things going. Uh, Weatherwars.info is is the one where I get some of this stuff out. Then you can find me on Facebook at scott.stevens.1276 and then at Weather Wars Info for, for Twitter. You know, I kind of want to get out into the field a little more. I want to get out and meet people and, and put on meetings and, and talk about my understanding of, of essentially what we talked about today, a lot of these same topics. So I wanted to call it uh, Cloud Tour, C-L-O-U-D-T-O-U-R. And, you know, instead of doing an Indiegogo or a Kickstarter thing, and I kind of had this understanding that there's a new currency coming, and we need to be you know, a little bit off of, off of fiat. And there's a company called Coinbase, Coinbase.com, that is has a referral program. You buy $100 worth of, of Bitcoin, and the referral person, which would be me in this case, would then get forwarded $75 in Bitcoin. That's a very generous program, and they've got venture capital trying to get Bitcoin out there. And I think every little bit of money we take out of the system and begin to use independent of taxes, independent of the Visa, MasterCard, Amex, all of those fees that they, the, the banking families pull two, three percent out of the system. That that's money that stays in our pockets. Look, look, I, I have my problem with this because a lot of times, tell me, I, I, I look at, at, for instance, PayPal or any mm-hmm. any other thing out there, anything you know, uh, Visa, MasterCard, whatever. You send them your payment. And they will hold that payment long enough to to make. They pull it all together. Then they incremental, you know, incrementally it adds up. And they pull everybody's payments together. They invest them even for an hour at a time, make yep. a profit, and then they will send your your funds on through. Yep. Um, they're basically screwing you twice because yes, they're already right. they're already charging you interest, and then they're going to make money. And interest-bearing investments and in accounts and money markets by taking your payments and before they post them, they invest them. Make and it's, it's make a, it's interest an off. Of, yeah. yeah, it's an aspect of arbitrage. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it is, and that's, that's why I think the blockchain and and Bitcoin is going to be a big, big, big future. And then there's also the the, the prospect of negative interest rates. Of, of bail-ins, like what happened to Cyprus, when the banks go down, they're just going to pull your deposits to try and make things good. And so, I, I think uh, getting into Bitcoin and Coinbase is, is is kind of kind of important. And I had I had a dream last month. How much time do we have, guys? Uh, go ahead, so go we, ahead, finish your thought there. Okay. What was happening is I was. It, it was winter, so whatever happens is, is winter time. And I was in a car, um, and it was kind of a downtown area with parking meters on the side. I pull into a spot, and uh, so I go to put two quarters into the parking meter, and thinking that was going to buy me my time. But what came out of the meter were literally two fat handfuls of big silver coins, hmm. and then all kinds of change spilled out on the ground. 
and there were other people around. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm sorry, my hands are full. Take it. You know, it, it's enough. Go ahead and take it. And so all of the two coin in and a handful of big coin came out. Next scene in Birmingham, Alabama, trying to get people who required food to the right food bank for their needs. Next scene was in like a bowling alley situation and, and, and the, the bill for services was $50. I don't know whether it was shoes. I don't know. It was lane fees. It didn't matter. I needed 50 bucks. I pulled out my wallet, pulled out a hundred dollar bill. Guy looks over my shoulder, says, Oh, you've got money. I'm like, yeah, I got a hundred dollar bill. But what he didn't see was that in the wallet was probably a quarter inch thick of additional hundred dollar bills. Hmm. So small investment in this Bitcoin or in a digital currency is going to yield great reward in time. You know, the, the Chinese have already lost upwards of four trillion dollars in their market capitalization. If that four trillion had gone into Bitcoin, the 16.6 million that are in circulation would have increased, increased in value by a half a million dollars each. If in the days prior to 9-11, the Pentagon is required to go to a, a, a closed currency to buy their resources, to buy their money for their black ops, all of the value of that money would have gone up. Hmm. So their demand for money would have increased the value of the money for all of us holding the money rather than deflating it. So that right. simple $2.3 trillion in quote-unquote lost Pentagon money would have seen an increase of $160,000 per the Bitcoin. So it creates this, this demand and this self-balancing. So the black ops simply wouldn't happen if we had had an independent currency of the government because we would all know when somebody's accumulating money for something, because all of our money would have increased in value. So there's a brilliance, an utter brilliance to this prospect. And so that's why I chose Bitcoin rather than Kickstarter, Indiegogo. All that does is continue to feed the system status quo. And I won't have it. I won't have it. It doesn't do us any good. We need another currency, one that is one that is clear, private and can be used for micro fund funding like a, a cup of coffee or to buy a car. Well, you a know, currency the, that appreciates. Mm-hmm. The powers that be do not want... Um, <laughs> this is something they simply can't abide. No. It's just having another type of currency that's not you know totally under their control. So, but, but as long as they don't recognize it as currency, they can't tax it. Mm, that's true. There you go. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's got to be acknowledged as currency. So that's that's where you're going to need to put it. So go to Coinbase or go to my Weather Wars info. There's a referral link there so we can fund cloud tours so I can come out to your towns and, and give presentations and share with you what's coming. And um, this way you get a little money out of the system and it funds something good, something good. All right. Well, Scott, please uh, uh, keep us updated on this, and uh, maybe you can come back in the near future and uh, uh, tell us how uh, how it's working out. Totally. That sounds good to me. All sounds right. good to me, guys. Cool. Right. Thanks, man. We I've have had enjoyed it. I had a blast. Yeah. Well, thank you, man. Yeah, I really appreciate it, Scott. So uh, uh, thank you, everyone out there, for listening. Thank you, Scott Stevens, Mike. Uh, another great show. And yep. uh, so we'll uh, we'll come back again uh, this time next week. Uh, we'll have another interesting guest. So please uh, uh, join us again. I'm Tim Swartz with Mike Mott. Thanks for listening, and uh, good night. <laughs> <laughs>